And just the way the world of app reimagined itself for mobile, it has to reimagine itself for AI, which probably is an even more extreme transformation. This is Equivalent to Magic, a show about the tech wizards behind the most influential companies and platforms. I'm Quentin Clark. And I'm Steve Herod. Together, we go deep with tech execs, product developers, and engineers about how they dream, design, and build their way to scale. In this episode, Mariana Tessel, the CTO of Intuit. Mariana is a seasoned tech executive and oversees all of Intuit's product engineering, data science, information technology, and information security teams. Before that, she was their senior vice president and chief product development officer. But even before she landed at Intuit, Mariana held tech positions at other companies, including computing R&D work in the Israeli army. Her first job in the U.S. was for a pioneering company called General Magic. This was back in 1995. I actually started as a software engineer there, a junior software engineer. And then I ended up progressing to be a manager and eventually a director. At that time, she was involved in the early development of a product that would define the way that we interact with our devices, a web browser for PDAs, personal device assistants. And it was uh, myself and another more senior engineer, and we were working together to try to do this web browser. And, you know, Steve, actually to do that, like I had to learn HTML, et cetera. And so I actually remember going to the library and picking up a book about HTML2 so I can write a renderer for HTML so we can create a browser for the small device. These were the early iterations of smartphones. Back then, people didn't expect much from a phone beyond its ability to make a phone call. But Mariana's work expanded the possibility of what a mobile device could do. Access maps, share pictures, and even search the web. Today, when you think about it, you're like, duh, we have all these like iPhones and Android devices, etc. So it just kind of seemed completely obvious idea. But at a time, it was groundbreaking, this idea of like a visual device, not just a phone, and one where you do this idea of a personal assistant, like you can do a lot of your work with it. Forbes described General Magic as the most important dead company in Silicon Valley. And there's actually a Netflix documentary that came out in 2018 about General Magic. Mariana was there in the 90s, helping make the software that ran the earliest smart devices. That's probably why we have the Netflix movie um, was, was really groundbreaking. And honestly, a lot of the things we've done in there were groundbreaking. So it was like groundbreaking within groundbreaking. In 2002, General Magic went bankrupt, but its legacy lives on in our smartphones today. Mariana went on to lead engineering teams at Docker, Ariba, and VMware, and then she eventually landed at Intuit in 2017. Intuit makes a range of software products for taxes and business management, including TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. And she's leading thousands of engineers in AI-first development to make products easier, cleaner, and more intuitive. We spoke with her about how she's trying to push the envelope at Intuit, a company that serves a lot of small businesses in this high-stakes pandemic movement. We actually launched this pretty quickly in April. We launched this tool called the Intuit Aid Assist. And this is not just for customers. This is for any users to uh, come in and try to um, understand the CARES Act and everything that they might be eligible for. And what we found, and there was confusion and people desired to understand what they can um 
what it can actually, like again, what they're eligible for. So we created this tool. And what was cool about it is that we use something that we have at a company called uh, the Knowledge Engine or the, the Knowledge Engineering Capabilities. And we created that pretty quickly to basically translate uh, different compliance and different kind of a code to and rules to something that people can understand. And the other thing is we actually got approved as uh, um, a, like a non-bank bank lender by SBA to uh, QuickBooks got approved to do the payroll paycheck protection plan. So we delivered that pretty quickly. And uh, our customers, and the nice thing is because we knew our customers, we could quickly advocate for them and quickly get the loans approved. So they had access to loans pretty quickly. So that those are probably a couple of the more meaningful ones, but we actually had multiple efforts to help our customers um, when uh, when this whole uh, pandemic hit. Yeah, well, let's, let's dive into the PPP program uh, a little bit more. Just a lot of us have heard about that, but Tell me just from an engineering leadership standpoint, what was it like all of a sudden to be a lender and, and a bank kind of for the first time with a lot of stressed out companies wanting your product to get them their loans as quickly as possible? Like, tell me a little bit about the stress that hit on on the engineering team or some of the unique challenges you hit. Yeah, I, the, the this was like uh, this combination, Steve, and I'm sure you had it multiple times in your career where there's like on one end, this is immense stress. On the other end, this is this feeling of like you're on a mission to get something really important done. Um, so there's a lot of challenges with it. One, there was like the timeline and trying to get all of these new rules in the system and use our, the data and AI and everything involved. Um, there was trying to interpret and understand what is the paycheck protection plan exactly means. And there were changes along the way. So just one, uh, just the time uh, the team thought they were done coding, guess what? Everything changed again. So constantly kind of going and making sure we have it right. And also to getting approved as an SBA lender was um, effort to get like legally get it right. And, and, and like, again, working on the business development front, if you want to so just making sure all of that happened in parallel. So it was, um, more than just an engineering, um, effort to get this accomplished, um, again, because we had to get approved as an SBA lender. Um, but this was like, um, one of these projects was very intense, uh, in a short period of time, um, this feeling of like being on a great mission and um, having uh, <clears throat> constantly being adopting to new realities and new knowledge. And as you know, there was a wave and there's another wave and another wave. And honestly, we still have engineers working on this pretty intensively today. This is still um, ongoing. Yeah. So we actually heard from other fintech experts uh, about some of those technical difficulties. They compared integrating into a government loan platform like having built a maglev train, but then you had to reverse engineer it into a handcar because that's the only thing that would fit on the government's tracks. What were some of those technical constraints and challenges like? Well, again, I, 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 I don't know that this was our experience because a lot of it is trying to, um, you know, like basically understand the risk and all the models and the rules around approval of a loan and what is kind of, what can you, um, what kind of, what kind of risk is allowed and can you take and who is eligible and trying to get all these rules and trying to make code out of them is probably the hardest thing. 
But the the thing that that again was challenging is that constantly trying to you're right to interface with um, with with just the evolving requirements I would say an evolving world and and again this is an example where we're all in this together, including the government, honestly, because like all of these were written in such short period of time that nobody can really, um, you know, do you, it's kind of, you expect that you're going to refine over time as you go and you say, oh my God, this is, this is one thing that I should have, that we should have thought about this and we should have thought about this. So it, I always think about it more as like a refinement process, but everybody worked really, really fast and hard on this, including like, you know, more traditional like government, et cetera. It's actually felt, um, everybody were working really fast and hard and collaborating together. So there's, there's actually positive, uh, feeling around this, but you know, not to say that it wasn't like challenging. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough for non-digital natives, right? I mean, at first the banks and other lenders had a hard time developing usable products. Were you able to learn things from how they were approaching it or what they were doing or not doing that, that allowed you to move a little bit more quickly potentially? Yeah. But you know what we will do normally in like a more tech environment, you would say, oh, you know, I'm not going to just build this as a single purpose tool, but I'm going to think about maybe, uh, you know, like a little bit more of a Swiss knife where you might say, oh, things might change. So when we build our platform, we thought about more like generic, um, you know, like generic risk rules and workflow and whatever, and using things we already had so we don't have to start from scratch. But the way we build this allow us, allowed us to adapt to changes as they came in. And, you know, and again, like in a more traditional world, you might say, oh, I need to hard code this very specific program where the approach we took is, again, very similar to how you think of technology. You would say, oh, I'll build it in a way that that uh, is forgiving for changes and allow me to make changes um, uh, faster. So, like, again, this was also an advantage um, that we had. Um, relative to a more traditional, you know, like if you have to send your paperwork or you're going to be overwhelmed by a huge amount of um, customers, et cetera. The other thing that was useful for us is the fact that we knew our customers and we can rely on our knowledge of customers to remove friction for them. So if somebody was an existing customer, again, we already have data. We don't have to reinvent everything and collect new data, et cetera. So we can remove a lot of friction, friction, relying on things we already have. And when you think about it, like in a more traditional processes, you might say, oh, I need the whole, like, tell me all the sources of data, sign all this paperwork, go through all of this. And now let me collect the data. Now let me get you approved. So we could remove a lot of time and friction in the process by doing that. Yeah, and a lot of the banks had literally all their employees from every division processing paper that weekend, the first weekend of PPP, like actually manually entering it. So you're far ahead of that. Exactly. So so we were like relying on all sorts of automations we had, if it's like to enter documents or data we already had. And, you know, and, and again, we were already having... Um, uh, we were have something called QuickBooks Capital where we already given loans. So it's not like we, we were completely new to loans. And I could have imagined if we were completely new to loans, that would have taken a long time. And we were probably 
I'm not sure if we were even able to make the timelines, but because we already had a notion of how to do loans, you just had to be specific to this kind of loan with these kind of rules, with this kind of scenario. And we really uh, reused everything that we had for PPP. So we didn't start from scratch um, at all. And that's why we were able to do it in uh, such a short period of time. It still was very significant effort. I didn't want to kind of uh, say, oh, yeah, we're just like two people on the weekend. You know, that was not that at all. But, you know, it, it, was, it was something that fit well within what we had and fit well within our mission. So we felt really good and we were actually pretty protective doing that. It's interesting because one of the things you talked about is you know, building things in a way which give you um, future agility. And, you know, at your scale, taking on something new like this, you you have that challenge and you have that need to build that way. And it is something that that uh, startups also face, right? One of the most frequent questions that, that I often get is how to figure out which technology choices to lean into at really early stages to ensure that they have flexibility in the future. So it's good to know that's a... That is a skill that that continues to matter throughout a throughout a career. You know, even more so, I would say, because um, like, like again, like you want to be able to. We know that big companies they uh, inherently, obviously, they have more asset, etc. But really, what they bring to bear is unbelievable amount of leverage and knowledge, and maybe tools they have, programs they have, modules they have. Um, and that's kind of what you want to be able to have as a company. Um, so that, that, you know, this idea of leverage becomes more and more important as actually, as you grow, that's one of your secret sauces, if you want, um, as a bigger company. So we're, it's hard to believe we're six months plus into our pandemic and shelter in place world. Um, so, so talk a little bit about how the pandemic is shifting about how you're building products at Intuit. So, um, first of all, um, obviously, one thing that is probably most notable for um, everyone is just this idea of like working. We, you know, let me just start like slightly differently. You know, we just talked about the fact that the products that we're building need to be a little bit more in tune with our customer needs, which are evolving. And one of these needs is access to money. And obviously, we're moving to this virtual world. So we just need to take all of this into account. So I would say product requirements have been changing uh, for many companies. And I would say pretty much to all companies because, like, you know, you this, this idea of, like, uh, you know, like the, the this progression into a virtual world happened in a much faster pace is, is just became real to everybody. So the product requirements have changed. Um, I think when I say product requirements, all product requirements are kind of evolving these days. And I think everybody are kind of rethinking a little bit what they knew. But in addition, because we work in a virtual uh, world, this idea of how you develop um, together has really uh, been evolving as well. And and I, I think we're still figuring this out as an industry, but how do you work in this virtual world? And, you know, like there was a period of time where, um, you know, lots of startups and teams will pride themselves of actually sitting, a scrum team is sitting in a room and you can turn just around you and have that conversation with somebody and an idea come in and you whiteboard and you pair program and you do all these things. And guess what? It's just much harder to do over video. 
So all of that notion is being tested. So, you know, it's really uh, taken away. So you need to think about like a different way of collaborate of collaborating. So that's kind of another way in which like the pandemic has changed any, um, everything. And then obviously the reality of people are now um, have to deal with school. People, uh, you know, their kids going to school just right next to them and who knows what, which is another set of realities you have to uh, think about. So there's a lot of things that change. On the other hand, uh, you can see how much you can done actually virtually. And the fact that, you know, it was so important to be in a room before, but now you can see that you can be productive with people being, uh, you know, not in a room together. So there's like uh, the pluses and minuses, but I would say these are commonly to other companies. These are some of the ways in which uh, we are also experiencing a very significant, um, I would say, shift in how we think about software development and what we're seeing. Um, good news is just like many customers, uh, sorry, just like many companies, um, productivity for most companies in the Valley, from what I can tell, hasn't been impacted uh, significantly. In fact, I would say many companies will say uh, we actually seen, uh, you know, more PR push to production and other things. So that's another interesting uh, thing to watch and how this evolved. I've, I've been to your, uh, I've been to the Intuit Engineering Days, which is a cool event that you uh, started where people are sharing uh, yeah. new prototypes, new ideas. Is there anything you can tell us about as completely new products in the post-pandemic world or, or ideas for products that are, might be interesting? Well, so, you know, like um, just without kind of, again, spilling the beans on everything, um, as you can imagine, we're thinking about how to help our customers in a virtual world and uh, what is the needs that they have in that world. And, you know, one of the things that we have is the virtual expert um, platform, which is um, this idea of like, we started from you know, um, uh, somebody preparing their taxes, they want to access to an expert and we made it available with the use of technology, um, and video, et cetera. And, um, now we extended that to small businesses with an offering called QuickBooks live, QB live. Um, so all of that great, but you know, are we also seeing that, wow, this is actually a great way to continue to connect, um, the, the experts to uh, users, there is a great need of professionals who want to help users and uh, users that need help. And, you know, we are we definitely want to continue to help connect them. And it's something that we are very excited about. And we also, again, like uh, in uh, as, as uh, they used to say, and we, we have the technology to go do that because we invested that in um, the last several years, and we also understood how to make it work securely and delightfully to both sides of experts and um, customers. It's interesting you talk about uh, that modality and that opportunity at, at Intuit to bring your customers in with experts. And we've also talked a lot about how uh, COVID is also, and the pandemic has changed you know, how you're working with engineering. So these are all these kind of like major drivers of changing how people work and what people expect. AI has been another one of those changes that we know that Intuit's leaned into quite a bit as well. And how, you know, how does it change the way that you design products and the customer experience? Yeah, AI is actually a really fascinating uh, world that I've been uh, quite uh, passionate about. And in fact, uh, we started to talk about AI first and AI native because the 
uh, with the recognition of how much AI is actually changing um, applications. Um, I, I would start like, you know, from, let, let's start from, there, there's a lot of ways in which um, AI has been uh, um, really changing the way applications are written. You know, like one thing that we have in our product, just an example, maybe you want to do like cash flow prediction. So in the past, you would be more like, oh, there's just a cash flow prediction, like one size fit all. You have certain rules and you'll say, oh, based on these parameters, this is what I will predict. Uh, but now you can get a lot more personalized because you can say, oh, based on what I know, these kind of businesses and based on what I know on this specific customers and the pattern that it's true for them, you can actually provide uh, much more accurate uh, predictions. Or we talked about this idea of giving loans and how we can use um, AI to um, make it accessible and easier on the risk models, et cetera. So, uh, you know, AI is everywhere um, there. Um, so there, there's like all these like use cases in which the, you know, the, the environment has been or like the the product features have been enriched and changed with AI. And in fact, as a company, we actually took a step forward because AI is just uh, such a big blob of things. So we actually defined it. And what we said it means for us is machine learning, knowledge engineering, and natural language processing. So we actually went a little more specific of where what it means for us as a company. Um, and then we invested in all of these areas and knowledge engineering, we just talked about is extremely important in anywhere in compliance and tax, et cetera, because what knowledge engineering does, it takes uh, pages and pages, thousands and thousands of pages of maybe compliance rules and turn them into code. And it knows to tell you at every given time, what is the relevant uh, rules for you? based on what is right for you. And again, behind this, there's like the sophistication of knowledge engineering engine and all these different things that we have built. And then natural language processing is again, like we want to, it's not just like this idea of like, you can talk to your computer, but you want to be able to interpret documents and maybe you want to be able to interpret receipts, but the receipts can come in different shapes and forms and the you know, they can be very hard to read and the paper can be crumbled. So there's like a lot of very interesting technologies that you get to apply. So I think we all understand that this idea that, uh, you know, applications and experiences are really changing with AI and in many, many, many ways. But I think what's kind of has been fascinating for me is also to think about how the application structure is completely changing. So let's take this example of uh, CUI or uh, conversational UI. And we all know that, like you can sit in, the, in front of a computer, maybe there's a chat, maybe it's like, you know, um, or, you know, voice recognition, it doesn't matter, but you might ask a question about something. So let's say, and I'll take an example from our world, Let's say I'm inside, uh, you know, QuickBooks and I might have a question about payroll. Well, now you took me from one context to a completely different context. So in my application, I want to be able to answer questions and help basically pull different things from different worlds. So this idea of I'm in this context and this app is actually completely being disrupted. And you basically want to be able to jump from one place to another inside your application. So the structure of applications, I would say, is, is going to get really challenged with AI 
both because it's going to get more and more personalized and you want to have an application that's not just a generic flow that's just like this machine that goes from state A to B to C, but you want this machine that goes from all the states that the states that are personalized for me as a customer. And then you also want it to be so that you can jump from one place to another and you lose this kind of notion of I'm in this context, I'm in this session, right? So it's very, very interesting. And then, uh, of course, as somebody who came from infrastructure, and uh, I know Steve, you and Quentin, you'll be familiar with that. It also really changes how the backend is being written, um, you know, because you have um, observability and whatnot. So anomaly detection. So you have all these other ways in which the the way developers writing applications and the tools you have are changing as well. So that's something I've been really fascinated about is not just kind of the scenarios that enabled, but how application structures and I think the tools that are going to go with it are going to be completely different. It's a pretty big idea, right? In other words, if you consider customization and tuning and personalization of every app service and every app experience. It's a change in design. It's a change in what developers do. None of that scales with hand-to-hand code combat. So you have to really build different infrastructure and really embrace machine learning in a different way. Totally. I. That's exactly what I've been thinking about is that you know, a lot of our applications, they are written in a way that, you know, we knew the world. And then we now say, oh, how I can make this flow smarter if I inject AI. But I think what's going to happen over time is you're going to start rewriting applications with kind of this AI first. This is kind of why we were saying, hey, this is not longer just mobile first, it's also AI first. And just the way the world um, of app reimagined itself for mobile, it has to reimagine itself for AI, which probably is an even more extreme transformation. Um, so that that's is still kind of work in process, but it's it is really that, and it's like the tools and everything. And again, this idea of like a flow that is very long. When you think about it, it's not very relevant because you want to have these mini flows and go from one flow to another because that's what users will want to do and how it all stitched together. Like um, those are things that we still need to solve. But yeah, I I think the uh, you know tooling everything is going to completely um, change with once we understand AI and what we can how we can really use it um, in an AI first way. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think, I mean, it's such a cool technical challenge you're working on there. We talked about writing web browsers for General Magic, but you've also been at Ariba and Aruba, VMware, Docker, um, kind of just looking across your career. What are some of the hardest technical challenges kind of looking back in addition to the ones we've just talked about? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, you're right. It's like, you know, and, and it's funny when you look back, some of these challenges, you're like, well, that wasn't such a big deal, you know. <laughs> but you know, like, um, like we started from General Magic, and we talked about the browser. But honestly, like one of the biggest things in there is that I was actually writing on the the we were writing an operating system called Magic App, and writing on the operating system, I was responsible for the booting process and the wireless communication and like the memory models. So this like was like really felt like a big technical challenge, especially when you try to cram it into a small device. So that felt like amazing. But then going to Ariba, 
Um, and we were doing B2B, but one of the interesting things in there, where I would say two things. First of all, we were the biggest Java app. I remember at the time we worked with Sun and there was all this excitement about this big app with all these garbage collection problems and whatnot. And we had this, what seemed to be such a radical um, idea at the time, and that was to use HTML for UI. So our UI was basically in a browser where today you're like, of course, but at a time it was like, we had to explain to customers why we made that choice and why it made sense. So that was like that. And uh, obviously VMware, um, you know, Steve, you know better than uh, uh, me about virtualization and anything that has to do with VMware, but what was interesting for me personally there was this idea of like, um, uh, you know, working with the technology ecosystem, which, you know, I did pretty uh, significantly there. So this idea of how you work with a whole set of industry that works on a project um, has been a kind of a big deal, big deal for me when I worked at VMware. And by the way, from there, I... I just started to think about the Valley and the industry and a little bit differently in, you know, how we think about companies and we're employees in companies, but kind of walking out of VMware and understanding how the industry works, I kind of think of the Valley and the industry as this one big company. And yes, we are all like different companies, but it's almost like we're this different teams. And you know how sometimes between teams, you can have a little bit of competition. So it's kind of like that, but it feels like in general, we're all advancing the industry and we're all part of this one big world of technology. And I kind of feel like we in this like big company, which is called high tech industry, you know, um, and then of course, Docker and containers and the container movement, which, uh, um, you know, I, I'm just like still fascinated with, and I think it's an amazing, um, technology. And just with, as we talked about now with AI and understanding how AI, uh, really, uh, can be put to a great use and how it really changes everything is, uh, is, um, my latest fascination. It's funny you, you talk about the Valley kind of operating as one big company it, and the work you did on, on partnerships and ecosystem. How important do you think that is, right? There are, there are definitely a lot of founders that wake up and say, I need to go with this alone. And there's other founders who wake up and say, hey, the more, um, the more other efforts I can surround myself with, it floats all boats. How do you think about that? Yeah, I'm more of the, you know, uh, you want to work together uh, with others. And maybe this is kind of where, and this is definitely was true for like VMware and, you know, and maybe will resonate now during Corona times, this idea that you have your bubble, right? You might not be able to work with all of the industry, but you then have your bubble of partners that you work together with. But I generically feel like it's important to compete and it's important to win. And, you know, I'm big on like, I want to win. I want my company to win. I want my team to win, right? So like, you know, I think it's important. Um, um, it's an important thing to have. On the other end, I do feel like at the end of the day, we're all in it together as an industry and it's important to connect. And, um, you know, technologies are pretty good at, uh, around that. The number of conferences that you can go and Quentin, we met at a conference where we exchanged notes and said, I do this and I do that. And um, that's very much of like, you know, I think people share um, and they want to help each other. And I love that part of the industry. And I think we're all in it this together. And I think that's the mental model I recommend for leaders and for companies. And you know what? For the world, because we're going to have uh, a lot of uh, struggles as we see these days. 
uh, that we're going to have to overcome together, uh, you know, as humanity. So we better start with technology because that's kind of uh, the forefront of many of these and the solutions potentially to many of these. So we call this show Equivalent to Magic, and it's to celebrate the magic of technology. Across your career, is there some specific moment when you remember experiencing something just kind of work, some magic that, that you could see right in front of you? You know, there's so many times in my career where it, um, you know, just just the, had this feeling of like this magic. But I would probably go back to my general magic days um, as a formative experience. And, you know, up until now, I remember this idea of I opened my, um, uh, you know, SGI simulator um, and the spinning magic hat will come up and it will just work. And it every single time, it was this feeling of goosebumps and how things just worked and then you put it on the device and you move it over the wire and it works there. And it's just this constant feeling of magic. Um, so yeah, that's magic to me. Very good. Thanks so much for your time, Mariana. Thank you so much. Thank you. Equivalent to Magic is a podcast from General Catalyst, a VC firm investing in powerful, positive change. To learn more about our investment approach and our portfolio, go to generalcatalyst.com. The show is produced in partnership with Postscript Audio. Stephen Lacey is our executive producer, and Jamie Kaiser helped edit the show. Sean Marquand composed the theme song and mixed the show, and Rhonda Scott manages marketing and communications. Please give us a rating wherever you get your shows and spread the word on social media. Stay with us as we go deep on the technical stories behind the world's most influential companies. I'm Quentin Clark. And I'm Steve Harrod. This is Equivalent to Magic. 